Well, my name's Keith. It's a joy to be here with you, and um, uh, I love that we get to spend some time together. So let me pray, and we'll jump into our next topic. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and that we can open it now together uh, to glean more from you. Thank you for the riches of your word and, and how it, uh, it, it shows us uh, truly everything we need for life and godliness. So, so grow us in these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, well, we had something of a crisis in our family recently. Uh, anybody have a teenager? You got teenagers? And, and if, if, you know, teenager and crisis tends to go together, right? And no, no, seriously, uh, this is a couple years ago now. Um, my, my oldest son, so this is like new experience for us, right? Uh, he, he decides he's going to get his driver's license, and he decides he's going to buy his own car. So he works all summer. He, he works at one of the place, uh, fast food places in town, saves all his money, and goes out and buys a Mazda Miata. Yes, the convertible. And um, and like, okay, so there was all sorts of parenting stuff like that. We will talk about parenting next weekend, and you, we can talk through things like that. Uh, but so he's got this car. He loves this car. Um, I, I said there's one rule, and that is uh, uh, you need to honor Jesus with your car, right? And then otherwise it comes to my car. Anyway, um, and he did, real responsible, and uh, so he's driving this thing. It's great. It's an older car, and uh, he just loved this thing. He vinyl wrapped it. He did all sorts of stuff to it. And uh, one day I get this call. He's stuck on the side of the road, and turns out he had blown the head gasket. Now, I don't know anything about cars, but that sounded bad to me. And, um, and so we're like, what are we going to do? I don't know how to change a head gasket on, on an engine, and, and uh, I don't know anything about this. And, and we were just distraught, and, and I mean, this is his first car, and he saved all his money. And, and, uh, and God provided a wonderful uh, person in our church. Actually, he happens to be running the soundboard back there, Jim. Uh, knowledgeable mechanic, race car driver, and, and uh, Jim graciously mentored my son and I, really, really my son, and, and helping him how to change this head gasket. And we learned a lot, right, Jim? We had fun, and uh, it, was a, it was a gracious, we loved the, the fellowship, was awesome, but, but Jim came to our rescue because we didn't know how to change the head ga- gasket, and it was a crisis, because this is his car and all that. And, and, and I think about that, and I think my helplessness as a dad to, to not give my son something that, that he needed to know how to do this on his car and, and, you know, even more, much more serious than that, than knowing how to change something on your car, is I find as I talk to people and, and have been involved in counseling over the years, people don't know how to change in their life. Um, the helplessness of saying, I have this struggle, I just don't know what to do about it. I've tried this and I've tried that and... and um, and the good news is, guys, just like my friend Jim, there is help available in the scriptures to know not how to change the head gasket on your car, but how do we grow and change as persons? Because biblical counseling, discipleship, just being a Christian, is about growing and changing. Did you know that? Um, don't, don't take my word for it. Would you grab your Bible with me? And would you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, part of what we want to get you used to doing uh, as you would become more conversant with the Scriptures, as you might learn how to grow and change yourself and then be able to come alongside other believers in discipleship and, and formal counseling relationships and help them to grow and change is, is we want to help you to know how to use your Bible. 
So I'm going to say this, and you might want to write this down, okay? Biblical counselors use the Bible. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to illustrate that right now. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, Paul's writing to uh, the, this church in the city of Corinth, uh, ministering to them. And, and one of the things he wants to hold out for them is this vision of what is God doing in our life? What, what is he up to? What, what is the Christian life about? And he uses this elaborate analogy of how Moses, way, way back in the time of the Exodus, and he would go meet with God, and they had to put a veil over him because he would come out, and he had like this... Shekinah glow thing going. I don't know what it was, but, but so he uses this analogy to make this point in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, contrasting Moses, that's the, the, the illustration there, but we all as believers with an unveiled face, we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, watch this, watch this. And as we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being, what? Transformed into the same image. The image of what? The image of God himself, the the image of Jesus, right? We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That helps us to see that God's agenda, God's will for the Christian life, what we're trying to do in our own lives, what we're trying to do as we come alongside and help other people, is to, to grow more into the image of Christ. In fact, this, this is one of those things that will transform your life if you let it. God is always working in our lives to make us more like Christ. That crisis you had last year was designed by God to make you more like Christ. That difficulty you're going through right now, that provision that you had. You say, are you sure? That, that's exactly what Romans 8.28 says, that God is using all things together for the good of those who love him. And verse 29 tells us that that good is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So in the all things of life, God is changing us and growing us into the image of Christ. You say, why am I telling you all this? Because we're going to talk about the doctrine of progressive sanctification. You say, the what, the what, the what? The doctrine of progressive sanctification simply means the doctrine, the teaching about how we grow and change into the image of Christ. You know, counseling is really about change. You want to open your notes here with me and follow along. The clear teaching of Scripture is that believers need to be growing and changing. We looked at 2 Corinthians 3. I quoted Romans 8, 28, 29 to you. Those are passages that show us God's will for the Christian life is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. There is no such thing as honoring Jesus and being stagnant in your walk with him. Right? That's actually a very dangerous place, uh, biblically speaking. Our goal is to be conformed more into the image of Christ. And, and one day, this is amazing, one day God's going to complete the work that he started and for all of eternity we will all reflect his glory perfectly as we worship him forever. And what we see on this side of heaven is the beginning of that work. 
So when we talk about counseling, when we talk about life, we talk, what, what is Christianity about? It's about being conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, uh, you don't need to turn there, but, but one of my favorite counseling verses is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I'll tell you what it says. It says, we proclaim him, that's Jesus by context, we proclaim Jesus admonishing every man, that's one of the biblical words for counseling, so admonishing or counseling every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we might present every person complete in Christ. And that word complete means mature, perfectly reflecting his glory, being like him in every way. And Paul says in verse 29 of that verse, he says, and it's that purpose that I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. We proclaim Jesus. How do we do that? We counsel, we disciple, we encourage, we teach. How many people do we do that? Every man, every man, every man. And we don't stop until everybody looks like Christ. And that's what motivates us to get up in the morning and work hard. And that's what biblical counseling is really doing. Is Biblical counseling is simply recognizing that that's God's will and then engaging in that process in relationships with other people that are trying to grow and change in some way. Now, this, this progressive sanctification or the doctrine of spiritual growth uh, is what we want to talk about. In fact, I'm going to introduce you to it. Uh, Brent's going to come next hour, and he's going to talk about it in terms of worship and the heart, getting more details into how we grow, and then we'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about this some more. And the reason being is if you and I are going to grow and change as Christians, and if we're going to help other people to grow and change, we have to be really, really comfortable with understanding how this works, right? Um, that, that crisis where I don't know how to fix my son's car and I want so much to do it, right? Much more importantly is knowing how we would grow and change as Christians and then facilitating that in the lives of other people. That doctrine is called progressive sanctification. You say, well, what's that word mean? And if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe that's familiar. If you're brand new, one of the things we want to do is show you the relevancy of God's word. You've heard talks on that already, but let's talk about what some of these words mean, uh, what some of these uh, words actually mean. That word sanctify, the, the background of that word means to, to be to set apart. So if I took my pointer here and I said, you know what, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to use it for later. Biblically, according to the language of the Bible, we could say that that pointer is now sanctified, right? I've set it apart for something, uh, some other purpose, some other time. And you say, well, what does that have to do with, with growing in Jesus? Well, look, look at this. It has the idea of being set apart from sin unto God for his purposes. So when God says, my will for your life is to sanctify you, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm trying to pull you away from sin and I'm moving you more and more toward God's purposes. That, that's what sanctify means. And in fact, that, that same word in the Bible, sanctify, there's a word in the Old Testament, a word in the New Testament, they, they overlap in meaning. They're translated differently in the Bible. That when you read the word holy, when you read the word sanctify, when you read the word consecrate, um, saint even, the word saint, originates from this word, those all mean the same thing, that this idea of uh, setting apart from sin to God for his purposes. Um, but where this gets tricky uh, is in this idea that sanctification has three phases in it. Uh, how many watched the rocket go up this week with the four civilian astronauts? And some of you are like, rocket? There was a rocket this week? Yeah, j- just Google it. 
Just Google it. Not now. No, 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 not now. I need you, I need you paying attention here, okay? Uh, but yeah, we, we made history as a nation. We made history. It was the first fully private rocket where we sent four civilians. And they're actually in low Earth orbit right now, orbiting the, the Earth every 90 minutes. And, um, and you can, like I said, Google it later, okay? Um, but you think about a rocket launch, there, there's, there's the launch, right? And then there's the orbit, and then there's the descent to landing, right? There's three different phases in, in manned spaceflight, typically. And, and similarly, when we talk about the doctrine of spiritual growth or, or progressive sanctification, there's three phases to this. And if you're going to grow and change as a Christian, if I'm going to grow and change, and if we're going to come alongside and help others in the context of discipleship and counseling, we've got to understand this stuff. I mean, you, you don't want the guy with the launch button sitting at mission control going, now how does this go now? Does this deploy the parachute or does this launch the... You don't want that, right? You want an expert doing that. And so that's what you need to, we need to learn this. Um, did, did, did you get in Terry's talk, the Bible college in an hour, did you understand... Did you get it all? Yeah, there'll be a test. No, don't worry, don't worry. Did you, did you at least get the concept that theology is important? Why is theology important? Because we counsel out of our theology. We live out of our theology. That is, we do life and we give advice to others out of what we really believe about God, about people, about their problems, about what we do about it. And as Christians, we, we should care that what we're telling people and how we're living ourselves derives from Scripture, right? That, that's why we're, we're fond of saying that bad theologians make bad counselors. We don't want to give unbiblical advice, and that, that's very easy to do if we have a casual approach to the Bible and to theology. So we're going to start doing a little bit of a deep dive. I hope you got your scuba tank on, okay? We're just going to go a little bit of a deep dive here into theology in this one specific area that Terry probably spent about five minutes on last hour, we're going to do a little bit more extended because this, you need to know this if you're going to grow and if you're going to help others grow. And Christians get confused because there's three phases, rocket launch, orbit, landing, right? In sanctification, there's an initial phase, there's an ongoing phase, and there's a concluding phase. Let me show you that from Scripture if you're, if you're tracking with me, okay? Uh, would you just... Um, Oh, and one more thing here. The term sanctify or holy is used in the New Testament. You say, how do I know if it's initial, ongoing, or final? How do I know which phase it is? Context, context, context. Uh, one of the golden rules of interpreting Scripture is you want to look at the context, and that helps you to know what did the author mean. Okay, so that's how we're going to figure this out. So let's look at these three aspects, uh, if you would. Would you turn with me, if you're in 2 Corinthians, just back up a few pages into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Your brains are going to be so full by the time we're done with you this weekend. But that's why we're giving you notes. Just keep writing, okay? Just keep writing. And then we're going to give you a whole month to process. And then you come back in October, okay? So just stay with me, okay? Just just stay in there. So, so Paul's introducing himself to the Corinthians. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, now, now watch this, watch this, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. We'll stop right there. Where are my English teachers? Are there no English teachers here? I've been doing this for like 20 years. I've always had English teachers. I don't know what to do now. 
Grammar nerds. Do we have grammar nerds in the audience here? See, now I got to teach you grammar. This is not good. Um, okay, well, let's go with this and hopefully, you know, some, something from third grade resonates in your mind when we say this, okay? Look at this. When you see in verse 2, those who have been sanctified, what does that mean? When did that happen? In the past. Very good. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> that was close. Dodging a bullet there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is past tense. Paul is saying, as he writes to the Corinthian Christians, this has already happened to you. You've already been sanctified. You say, what does that mean? When you or I trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we hear the gospel and we respond in repentant faith in Jesus Christ alone, God does something. He changes your position. Just like my little pointer here, I pick it up and I set it up. You know what he does? He picks you up as it were and he sets you apart and he says, mine. He makes you his own. He sets you apart for the purpose of his own holiness. Now, if, if Paul is saying here, it's already happened, you know, that, you know what that means? It's done. It's complete. You do not change your position as a Christian. You can't and you don't have to because Jesus already did that completely and perfectly. You belong, if you're a Christian, you belong to God. You can't ever lose that. You can never make it better. Because God has set you apart in your position. He's made you holy perfectly and that will never change. So on the notes there, this aspect refers to the believer's position before God. That is, he or she is sanctified. From the standpoint of how how we would think of it today as a Christian, we say that's a past fact. It, It already happened. It's, it's done and it happens uh, with our conversion when we trust Christ. Okay, So that's what we call positional sanctification or past sanctification. It's already happened. And, and you say, well, why is this important? Because you're going to meet some real Christians, genuine believers, who have this fear that somehow they might do something and God says, I don't want you in my family anymore. Or that, that somehow they have to earn the favor of God by trying to be a good person or trying to be obedient. And, that, and that's going to sort of move them up in the family of God or, or make him more inclined to favor. And you know what the good news is? If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you are adopted in the family of God. You've been set apart in holiness. And that's your perfect position that can never change. And there are a lot of Christians that need to hear that. Because they're living without the confidence and the security and the peace of that reality. See, theology affects how you counsel, doesn't it? Okay. There's a second aspect, though, of sanctification, and we call this progressive sanctification or ongoing sanctification or progressive sanctification. Uh, on, on the notes there, this is the daily ongoing pursuit of the believer whereby he or she seeks to repent of sin and grow in Christ-likeness and holiness in his actual life practice. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just follow me to the right a few pages in your Bible or click over there on your iPad or phone if you're doing that to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And and this this is one of those red-letter verses in the Bible. This is one of those you read it and and you just want to mark it with a highlighter or 
circle it. If, if you've got your, your iPad there, you click the highlight function and mark it as a favorite, right? So helpful. Paul's writing to the, the Thessalonians. This was one of the first New Testament books written. And Paul writes it. Remember, the church is early. This is a brand new church. They don't know anything about anything. They don't have a New Testament yet. They're trying to figure out what does it mean to walk with God. And Paul says, look, I'm going to make this real easy for you. Okay? Do you want to know what the will of God is for your life? It's your sanctification. The will of God for your life. Chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And remember, don't, don't get caught up in that, that word. What he's saying is the will of God is that you grow to be more like Jesus. That's what he means by sanctification. You grow to be more like Jesus. And then he's going to get very specific by talking about sexual sin and some other things that he knew was going on in the Thessalonian church that needed addressing. So he, he gets specific there. But don't miss the big point. The will of God for the believer is that we grow to be more like Jesus. The will of God is our sanctification. Now, you've probably noticed this. When you and I became a Christian, God made us his own. Right? He set us apart in perfect holiness. Can't change that. But um, all of your sinful habits and my sinful habits didn't change in a moment on that day, did they? In fact, in some ways, you, now you're aware of more. And you're like, i gotta, I got to work on this. And, and this, is, this is so important you guys get this, okay? In our position before God, in our relationship before God, we are holy, set apart, complete, can't change it. But in our practice, in our actual lives, sanctification is not an instantaneous work that's done. It's an ongoing process. We have to work with God's grace to be more like Jesus every day in our actual lives. And see that you see what I'm saying? You got to be a good theologian to figure out. Otherwise, you get those confused, right? There, there are people sitting on the couch today going, "Jesus is just going to zap me with holiness any day now," and they never change because they've confused these things. There are people living in doubt and insecurity because they don't know that they can't lose their salvation. That God's made them holy in their position forever. They can't lose that. So, so we've got to get these things right. Sanctification is past. That's the positional. It's progressive. That's ongoing. That's day-to-day. That's right now. And then also, there is, I'm a preacher, I alliterate my outlines, perspective, sanctification, future, sanctification. And we see this, if you're in, again, First Thessalonians, just back up a few pages, into the book of Philippians, as Paul uh, ministers from jail now, right? He's writing this letter to the Philippian Christians from jail in Rome house arrest. And this is a book of joy, guys. You know this. This is a book of joy and hope. And Paul's in jail. He says, you know what? It's okay because my imprisonment has actually caused the gospel to uh, extend even further. And he's talking about hope and encouragement. And one of the things he anchors his hope in, he anchors his joy in with the Philippians, is the future. Look with me at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, for our citizenship, ultimately, he's saying, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, watch this. Who, verse 21, will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His 
glory. You understand what that means? One day, our practice will perfectly coincide with our position. One day, we will be perfectly like Jesus, not just in our position before God, but in our actual practice before God. Our faith will be sight. And this is, this is the beautiful vision of heaven, that as Jesus completes the work that he starts, when he comes again and takes us home to be with him, you and I will be perfect reflectors of his character and glory forever. This, this is the vision of heaven. The vision of heaven is the throne of God, right? The Lamb of God who radiates the glory of God. And there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation redeemed and saved and now perfectly glorified, which means that glory emanating from the throne bounces, as it were, off of us. We reflect that glory back to Him and He receives maximum glory for all of eternity as we worship Him. Uh, guys, good news is coming. That thing that you're fighting against right now, th- that difficult sin, that stubborn sin that we all have, uh, one day that battle will be done. And he will complete the work that he started and we will perfectly reflect the character of the Lord Jesus. And that's what he has promised that he has predestined us for. So he's positioned us in our conversion He's working on us progressively right now, and one day he completes the work that he starts in the future. And as the hymn says, what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? So three aspects. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Okay. You got it. We're a little bit of a deep dive here, but we've got to get this right because you're going to try to help people, and you and I are going to try to do the Christian life based on what we believe about things like this. And if we get these things wrong... We're going to end up doing it and trying to live in the wrong way. So I am, I should warn you, I'm a former recovering engineer, which means I have an OCD issue with charts and graphs. So I'm trying to sanctify my fallenness there by giving you something that's going to help you hopefully with the doctrine, okay? You've got the full thing in your notes, so you don't need to worry about scribbling something down, but you'll, you'll learn the best if you just look up on the screen here, okay? Because I'm going to, I'm going to build it for you, and what you have there is... Uh, the completed diagram, okay? So the Bible teaches that when we come into this life, because we all descend from Adam and we understand the fall and all of that, that we come into the world as a slave to sin. So we're down, we're down here, right? We're spiritually dead. Ephesians says that, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We're a slave to sin. That's Romans 6. We'll look at that in a minute. So we're, we're doing life down here. And you know what? Um, You know, you might be an unbeliever up here, you might be an unbeliever down here, but the reality is we're spiritually dead when we're not Christians. And maybe we get a little bit better in life, maybe, right? But at some point, what we need is divine intervention. We need God to save us from our sin. We need, in a moment, for God to rescue us from that slavery and, and to, to give us new spiritual life. We call that conversion, right? We, we call that, uh, justi- we have a whole bunch of words for it, justification, conversion. We call it believing Jesus, being born again, right? All those things happen right there. And at that point, what happens? At that point, this little dotted line, which I'm going to say is going to represent our or excuse me, our position before God, that's our position, the dotted line, is what? At our conversion, 
Our position is, read it with me, perfect holiness and Christ-likeness. You belong to God. You're perfect in holiness in your position before God. There's nothing you can improve on that. You can't lose it. You can't change it. And that's where part of our security of salvation comes from because we know that that's what he does. Okay, that's our position. But notice with me, uh, and, and the Bible would say we're now spiritually alive. We're a slave to righteousness now. But notice, uh, so this is that initial sanctification, right? Uh, but notice, this is what day-to-day Christianity looks like. Now, now be honest. Your life looks like that, doesn't it? You know, you're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Man, I went to that conference. Oh, man, that was a bad week right there. You know, I'm doing really well. Oh, I've got teenagers. Okay, and I'll, right, right? Talk to me here. That's true, isn't it? So, and, and I hope this encourages you. Normal Christianity is not this linear line to Jesus. It's crooked. You say, how do you know that? Read the Bible. Read about Paul. Read about Peter. Read about the disciples. Read about Daniel and Job and Jonah. And Right? The Bible is full of crooked line Christians. And I'm here to tell you, that's normal. That's normal Christianity. What's important... Okay, we're going to go from the grammar and English people here to math. Do we have any math people here? Okay, thank you. Okay, so you check me on this. Okay, praise God for Matthew. So what's important here is not at any one point, where are you? The point is the slope of the line. The point is what? That you're progressing. The trend is good. The trend is toward Christ-likeness. Now, if you're not growing at all, like, like you think this conversion thing happened and you're still down here somewhere, we need to talk. Because the Bible says that that's a problem, and, and I'll show you that in a moment. But this is normal Christianity, right? Good day, bad day, good day, bad day, good day, bad day. And uh, so there, there it goes. It's a squiggly line. The slope is what's important, and not, not any given data point. And then one day, when Jesus returns, or when we die and go to be with him, something's going to happen, okay? So we talked about initial sanctification. This is what we call present. That's that progressive sanctification, like ongoing. And then... I gotta do all the thing over. I love PowerPoint, how it does that. Okay, here we go. All right. Look, the story of your life right there. And then at death, or Jesus comes back, or you know, either one of those, what's gonna happen? Now your practice converges with your position. And you're perfectly holy in your actual life that lines up with the perfect holiness you received in your position when you first trusted him. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Okay. So again, you got to get this right because you're going to counsel based on what you believe. Initial sanctification, conversion, right? Adoption happens there. Justification happens there. Ongoing sanctification, it's a squiggly line. Okay. It's a squiggly line, but it's the trend that's important. And then future sanctification is when Jesus completes the work that he starts and glorifies it. Sometimes we call future sanctification. Sometimes we just call it glorification. That's typically the word we use. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Well, hopefully that will help you uh, to think about that. Now, uh, with that in mind then, let's talk about the nature of progressive sanctification. That, that's a little bit of sort of components thinking about it. Let's think now about sort of the nature of what we're talking about here. Um, 
how can you and I grow as Christians? Well, we saw that when we trusted Christ, God sets us apart for holiness. He says, mine and your your purpose, your your um, uh, goal in life, as it were, is holiness. But how does that actually work out? Well, the Bible teaches that the reason that we can grow at all is because when we trust in Christ, God unites us to Christ. And um, let, let me just, don't, again, don't take my word for it. Uh, I'd love for you to follow me over to Romans chapter 6. And, and I'm going to be a hit-and-run expositor here, right? We're just going to boom and then go. But it, it, it's almost criminal to do this, right, Joel? I mean, you just Romans 6 deserves months or years, right? But, uh, but we're just going to hit the highlights here. Um, but y- y- I, I want you to see when a believer is united to Christ... What are the resources that that person now has? What, what are the wonderful benefits of being united to Christ? And that's what Paul's theme is really here in Romans 6. And again, you guys know Romans. Romans is a, an exposition of the gospel. It starts with God's wrath is coming because of sin, because we reject him, we, we replace him, and that we deserve God's judgment because of that. But God sends Christ in chapter 3, to be the atoning sacrifice, to, to live a life of righteousness, to die a death that would pay the penalty for sin, and that if people will trust in Him uh, by faith alone, because of His grace alone, in Jesus alone, we can be reconciled to God, right? So He's covered all of that. Chapter 4 talks about um, Abraham as an example of that. Chapter 5 talks about how Christ undoes the work of the first Adam, Jesus comes in and makes a way for us to be restored to God. That gets us to chapter 6, where he says this in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say? Can we, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be, for how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. What's your point, Paul? Here it is. So that we would no longer be a slave of sin. How's the hymn go? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make even the foulest clean, right? His blood availed for me. What Wesley is talking about in that song that we love to sing comes from a text like this. That if you and I, when we trust Christ, are united with him, notice the imagery, in his death and burial and resurrection. Got the baptismal right back here. When we take that, that new believer and we put him under the water and we bring him back up, why do we do that? Because it's, it's a physical picture of what happens when a person trusts Christ and they are united with him in his death and burial and resurrection. With the result, what? That he has a new identity in Christ. He's no longer a slave to his sin, but he has been raised with Christ and is, and is free now to walk in the newness of that life. And, and again, I'm doing what I said I wouldn't do. I'm getting into the text. So, so just staying on the basic outline here, the point is, oh man, I got ahead of myself here. 
Okay, I'm sorry. Here, here's a couple of slides I skipped over, okay? In, in counseling and discipleship, we're primarily focused on the progressive, the middle part of sanctification, right? And uh, there's a definition by uh, Mr. Grudem that uh, Pastor Terry talked about, okay? You can read that there. Okay, so now we're in Romans 6. So in Christ, looking at this text, what do we see? We have a new identity, right? N- notice the phrase. You see this all over the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ, with Christ, with Christ. That's signifying the connection that all believers have with their Savior, Jesus. And that new identity then gives us a new ability. We don't have to sin, right? That's what he says there. We're no longer a slave to sin. Is that good news? Do you know why as helpful as some of those 250 counseling systems that Randy talked about can be, you know, there's some good help that can happen, some real help that can happen. Do you know why ultimately every other counseling system fails to ultimately help people? Because no other person can save you from your sin give you a new identity in Him, remove the chains of slavery to sin, and give you a new ability to walk in conformity to the commands of Christ. No one else can do that but Jesus. We can clean up behavior, we can help you feel better, we can give you some functional tools to kind of get through life. And and you know what? That's helpful. But no one can change your heart. No one can free you from sin. No one can give you the identity that human beings were made to have, to to be in relationship with God and to know Him as our God and Savior. No one can do that but Jesus. That's why I love being a Christian. That's why I love being a biblical counselor because we get to serve the meal that says, hey, all those things you're dealing with are just symptoms of your greatest problem, and that is you need to be reconciled to the God who made you. Can I introduce you to His Son who can do that in your life? Do you see that? That's how Christianity connects to counseling. That's why we get all wound up about biblical counseling or discipleship or spiritual friendship, whatever we want to call it. Because this relationship with Christ is the, the, the only transformative reality that can truly and fully help people with their life problems. They have a new ability. And notice as Paul continues, he has a new practice, verses 11 to 13. Therefore, he says, uh, don't keep on living the way you used to live, right? Uh, consider yourself to be dead but alive, and so now go live like it, right? Don't keep, don't keep letting sin reign in your body. Don't keep doing what you used to do. You have a new ability now. So go practice it. Go live. Use what God has given you for righteousness instead of sin. You've got a new position. This is great. Because Christ fulfills the law for us, we trust Him, His righteousness gets credited to our account. You know what that means? We're not under the law anymore. We're not condemned by the law because Christ satisfied the law's demands. Instead, we're under grace. So we don't go through life going, oh no, what's going to happen? Is God going to be pleased with me? Is He going to be happy with me? Am I doing enough? We're relating to God by grace, which means we belong in His family and there's nothing we can do to, to separate that relationship. And then finally, there's, there's a, new, a new growth. Uh, we'll progressively grow in holiness. And the rest of the chapter explains that progressive growth in holiness. But the point here, guys, the point is it's that connection with Jesus that allows us the ability to grow. And, and this, this is why so many people get stuck, right? This is why if you're struggling with an addiction, you, you might give up that drug and you go to this other drug. 
It's why if you're struggling with this bad habit, you replace it with another bad habit. You know, that's what we do, and only Christ can break that fundamentally and and actually truly begin to change us from the inside out. Okay? Again, this this is almost criminal to do this, but we'll have other talks that that elaborate on this. Um, In Christ, you know what else we get? Spiritual heart transplant surgery. Uh, in the Old Testament, this is called the New Covenant. And, of course, we, we benefit from that New Covenant as the church, as believers. Uh, we won't go back there, but uh, go read Ezekiel 36. Yes, go read Ezekiel, that, that, that book where no man has gone before, right? There's some, there's some weird stuff, but I'll tell you what. You, you get to th- these parts of the book, and the Bible tells us that what God's going to do in this New Covenant that He's going to make is He's going to remove this sinful heart of stone from our flesh. He's going to give us a heart of flesh. He's going to cause us to walk in His ways as He gives us His own very Spirit to motivate us and to grow us in those things. And the reality is nothing short of spiritual heart transplant surgery will ever truly change a person. It takes the gospel to do that. And uh, you say to people that have been struggling with it, maybe you've been struggling with, with, with something for years, and what we need is a new heart. And that's exactly what we get in the gospel. That, that same passage alludes to what the New Testament tells us even more about, and that's God's very spirit, uh, th- this agent of change, right? The, the third person of the Trinity comes to reside in the heart of believers, Paul tells us in Romans. And that spirit is begins to rearrange the furniture of our inner life, doesn't he? He's growing us. He's changing us. He's throwing some out. He's putting new stuff in. He's saying this needs to go. That needs to go. Bring this in. And he is, he is the spiritual energy source. He is the spiritual source of wisdom that allows us uh, to take what we're reading in the Word of God and to put it into practice. Uh, we talked about identity. You guys know this verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, isn't he? Old things have passed. Do you know how many people, do you know how many people come to counseling because they absolutely hate who they are? They've done stuff. They've had stuff done to them. They don't know who they are. I mean, this whole movement we have in our culture of I don't know who I am and I don't, I gotta go find myself and, Right? Do you, know where, do you know why that is? Because we need to discover a true and new identity by becoming one with Christ in relationship with Him. And you know what? All those old things, right? The things we did, the things that we had done to us, the things we were confused about, our failures, our difficulties, our challenges, all of those pass away and we have a new identity. It's called Christ. And that's our life. That, that, that's, that's, our, that's how we fundamentally know ourselves. We don't know ourselves by going on some expedition. We know ourselves by bowing our feet to King Jesus and letting Him be Lord of our life and find our identity in Him. So th- this, is, this is really practical stuff. And of course, we understand, uh, we mentioned this back in, in Philippians chapter 3, perfection is not possible in this life. You're not going to be perfect in your practice in this life. And you know what? That's okay. One of my mentors used to say this, God does not expect you as a believer to be perfect, but he does expect you to be growing. Okay? That's what God's asking us to do. Jesus will make, will do the perfection thing one day. Okay? Now, 
let's look at a, really one more passage that is, is really an anchor passage here, and then we'll, we'll take a break, okay? Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I, I see more Christians confused about this one issue in the Christian life, probably more than anything else. Um, this Christian growth thing, right? Becoming more like Christ, growing and changing, um, uh, dealing with sin in my life. Is that God's work or is it my work? Yes, that's a good answer. I like that. Okay, here's how I would say it. Spiritual growth, progressive sanctification, right? Growing to be more like Jesus, dealing with, uh, de- dealing with, with sin is God's work and man's responsibility. Okay, and again, don't don't take my word for it. Look with me at Philippians chapter two. We, I, I set up the book a little bit for you a moment ago, so we're just going to kind of parachute in here and look at it. Um, again, the church is relatively new. Paul's writing to them, and he's trying to help them to sort out how do we do this thing called the Christian life. And he he talks about anxiety. He talks about helping people get along with each other. Uh, and, and in chapter two now, verses uh, twelve and thirteen. He's going to talk about Christian growth. Listen to this. He says, verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You say, is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth? No. He's pulling back the curtain and showing you the blueprint of sanctification. Okay? Let's break it down together, okay? Spiritual growth is both God's work and the believer's responsibility. Notice with me in verse 12, the believer is called to work out his salvation. Now, don't freak out about that. Ah, I thought salvation was by grace alone through faith alone. He's not talking about justification here. He's not talking about becoming a Christian when he says work out your salvation. What he really means is work out your sanctification. That that middle part of our chart, remember that, the, the squiggly line? He says, now go do that. Work out your salvation, meaning by, by context, he means sanctification. And we do that with fear and trembling. I'll explain the fear and trembling in just a minute. But the point here is the believer is active in the sanctification process. Um, uh, just some of these passages here, you don't need to look them up, but uh, Paul, Paul's going to tell Timothy this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You see, that sounds like a lot of work, because it is, right? You go down to the YMCA here, you go into the gym, and uh, you hit the weight room, and uh, if you get a good workout, you're going you're gonna to work up a sweat, aren't you? You're going to be a little sore the next morning. And that's a picture of the Christian life, right? Work out your salvation. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, right? Right. Do these things. In fact, uh, this is, requires significant daily effort. Now, now, notice, the Bible does not describe the Christian life as a vacation, a holiday, a cruise. What does it describe it as? A race, a boxing match, a war. Uh, you know, God inspired those metaphors on a, for, for purpose, right? Because that, that's the picture. So when you go into your day, are you going into your day approaching the Christian life like, hey, I'm going on vacation today. I can put it on cruise control. Or are you going into the day expecting enemies to thwart your effort to walk with Christ that day and you're going to go in 
like American soldiers going after the Taliban. Because it's a war, isn't it? And you're going like you're going to the gym, not like you're sitting on the couch Netflixing all afternoon. It's a war. It's a race. It's a boxing match. It's a conflict, right? It's a fight. And again, this requires significant daily effort and work. If you are not active in working out your salvation, guess what? You're not going to grow. Now, just at the point we think, oh man, is this like pull myself up by my own bootstraps? I'm going to do it for... No, no, no. Notice the the balance of this passage, right? Work out your salvation just as you've always obeyed. It's a fight. It's a war. It's a conflict. It's a race. It's a boxing match. You go do it. And listen to this. As you and I strive to obey the Bible in regard to our growth, God works for our effort. God energizes our work. God makes our pursuit effective. He wor- Listen, listen. God works through our efforts of obedience, not apart from it in sanctification, which is why you can't sit on the spiritual couch eating spiritual chips all day, watching spiritual Netflix, and expect to grow. That's called a stagnant Christian. People that are letting go and letting God, I know you've heard that before, Not a biblical concept, I'm here to tell you. Not trying to step on your toes, it's not in the Bible. Okay? What is in the Bible is work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and Jesus, by means of his Spirit, will energize and make effective your effort so that you actually grow. Okay? Don't take my word for it. Look at 13. God gives the believer the desire to grow. That's the word will, right? God is at work in you. And and, and you know what? I think that's the fear and trembling part. As you and I strive to be more like Christ, God himself condescends to work through our feeble efforts to actually make us more like his son. And so it's fear and trembling, not like, ah, I'm scared. It's, it's fear and trembling like we're on holy ground here. It's like you know when Jesus calms the storm and the disciples who were afraid of dying in the storm are now feared with terror. Why? Because they say, who's this? That even the, the winds and the, bay, the waves obey him, and they're freaking out. Why? Because the Son of God is in the boat with them. Just like Moses took off his sandals in front of the burning bush, right? It's holy ground. I think that's what the fear and trembling means, because this is a, a very holy thing. God gives the believer the desire to grow. God gives the believer all that he needs to grow, right? Uh, that's, the, that's the word to work, Um this is great. We put forth the effort. God gives us what we need to grow. We, we don't, I don't know how to grow. I can't grow. God's going to take care of that part of it for you. He's working through your effort. And I love this part. Do you know God is pleased to help you to grow? Look at it again. For it is God who has work, work in you both to will and to work. Why? For his own pleasure. You like watching your kids grow, your grandkids grow, right? First time they swing the bat and get on base, the, the first time they get on the bike, the ripstick, whatever they're doing, right? You're proud of them, right? And that, that's the picture. God is pleased when he sees his children grow. It brings him glory. It brings him pleasure to grow. Okay? Now, how's God going to do this? And we're going to have whole lectures on this, okay? So don't freak out. Brent's going to come and talk to you about worship in the heart in a minute. 
Uh, we'll talk more about desires and goals, but, but just, 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 this is the big picture, okay? I'm, I'm, here's the big picture. God's gonna use His Word to accomplish spiritual growth and change, and there are different areas of your life that He wants to renovate, okay? You know what the first area is He wants to renovate? Who you worship. What you worship. Then He wants to reorient your goal in life so that you go from pleasing yourself to pleasing Him. Then He wants to change your desires. Right? So that your desires reflect His will and His glory. Then He wants to change your thoughts and your beliefs so that they conform to biblical truth. Then He wants to change your words so that you learn to speak the truth in love. And finally, He wants to change your behavior so that it honors Christ. You say, this sounds like total life... What was the show? What was it? Total home... What was the old show? Complete home makeover? Was it? I don't watch these shows. What is it called? Extreme home makeover. That's right. Okay. That's what he's doing. It's an extreme spiritual home makeover. He's taking it down to the foundation and building it back up. Why? Because he loves you and he's relentless until all of us look just like his son. Okay. Now, how do you know that you're progressing in this progressive sanctification thing, this spiritual growth thing? Let me just, let me just give you a, a few hangers to think about this. Okay. You know, that you're moving in the right direction, not when you have a certain number of Bible verses memorized, not when you can recite Psalm 19 in Hebrew, um, okay? You know you're progressing when you see the right kind of fruit growing on the tree. When you and I as parents or grandparents exemplify more patience with our children, when we show sacrificial love to our spouse, when we strive for peace when that difficult person in our life, when we find joy in the midst of trial, right? This fruit of the Spirit thing, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and, the, and the drip pan under all those, self-control. That means you're growing, okay? When you see a growing pattern of obedience, right? G- Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my suggestion, my commandments, right? My commandments, when you see the breaking of habitual patterns of sin, 1 John 3, 9 says, if you continue in this unrepentant, ongoing pattern of sin, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. You don't belong to God. When you see a breaking in those patterns, not perfectly, he doesn't, he's not, we're, not gonna struggle, we're gonna still struggle, but when you see these breaking of habitual sin patterns, we know we're on the right course. And as we've seen in these other verses, when we look more like Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Do you want to be more like Jesus? That's what this is about. I mean, counseling and discipleship are just the means. They're just the ministry tool to take what we've learned and help others to be more like Christ, even as we are becoming more like Christ. And that, that, is, that is the will of God. That is the bottom line. That is the hope of the gospel. And it really is what biblical counseling is all about. All right, let me pray for us. Father, will you make us more like Jesus? Thank you for his sufficiency in his life and death and resurrection. Thank you for his word that reveals his instructions and truth to us. Thank you for his spirit that empowers our efforts as God would be mightily at work within us as we seek uh, to obey what we, what we read in Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would all strive. We long to be more like Jesus. Oh, how we long to be more like him. Lord, uh, take these things, work these things out in our hearts, and then give us grace that we might come alongside hurting people with life or counseling problems and show them the hope 
that only the Savior can be. We pray in his name. Amen.